Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. All you have to do is turn on the news at night, and you'll receive a dose of hopelessness, despair, feeling of helplessness. It's all around us all of the time. The country and the society that we once knew is really gone. The goal of every generation prior to this one has been to provide our children a better way of life than the one we had, to help them prepare for the future, to leave a legacy that will be a blessing to our posterity. And I believe, and this is just Pastor Bob speaking here, but I believe This is going to be the first generation where we are actually leaving behind something nobody wants. This is the first generation where we are actually leaving things worse than what we had growing up, and nobody seems to care. This is the first generation that is all about me right now and not worried about later or even tomorrow. Our guest today is writing a book titled America in Therapy, and do we need therapy right now? And a lot of it. Amen. (laughs) I mean, Felix Levitt is the author of this book, America in Therapy, and she is here today to share insights about this book and to bring awareness of the urgency to bring our whole country into therapy. Amen. Praise God. Phyllis has a master's degree in psychology and counseling, has been in private practice for more than 30 years. She's authored two other books, A Light in the Darkness and Into the Fire. Help me welcome to the program, Phyllis Levitt. Phyllis, it is such a blessing to have you join us today. Well, thank you so much. It is such a blessing to be here with you. Um, I loved your intro. Um, It (laughs) mirrors my feelings and my thoughts so exactly. And it's actually the motivation, uh, one of the motivations for why I wrote this book in the first place, because I, I have children, so many of us do. I have grandchildren, and I think about the world we're leaving them. And I want it to be a world that welcomes them, that provides for them, and that provides opportunity and love and care for everyone, because that, I think, is the key to our actual survival as a human race. Yeah, amen, amen. And and, and the first question I always start with, though, is this. Other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Phyllis Levitt? Well, I'm an ordinary person. I'll start with that. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey. I had a good education. I, um, I, I, I looked for a lot of guidance myself from within. I, I've always been that kind of person for whatever reason I was born that way, that I was always sort of on a path of trying to understand my life, the meaning of life, um, trying to understand in particular some of the very difficult things that happened to me early on in life that colored the way that I coped and the way that I saw myself, which was not always in a positive light. Um, 
And I coped by being a really good student. That was my main survival mechanism was to be a good student. And um, and that served me well, actually. I would say that served me really well. And at a certain point in my life, when I was married and had three children, I kind of reached a crisis point where I knew that something had to change, that uh, my life was not working. I, I wasn't, I was not in a good relationship and my life was not working and I didn't know how to change it. And that was the first time I went to therapy myself and it opened up a whole new world for me. I realized for the first time, because it wasn't part of the culture that I grew up in, that our conditioning, our family, our conditioning, the world around us, especially the immediate world around us and the messages that we receive about ourselves and who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do, um, that really affects the way we see ourselves as adults and some of the yeah that we adopt. So that was like a light bulb going on for me. And I did a lot of personal work. Um, and some of it was really difficult, um, which it can be, you know, sometimes unpeeling back the layers of the painful things that have hurt us is, is a difficult process. But the beauty of, of psychotherapy and really any modality, and I want to say any modality that's a truly healing modality, um, is that we don't do that alone. You know, we're, we may have suffered certain things alone as children, but we don't do that work of recovery and healing alone. And that's part of the healing is that we're holding someone's hand and, and it can be a religious, you know, experience as well, or a spiritual experience of feeling guidance from above and feeling love from above. And for me, it started, it was was really both tracks for me. There was both a spiritual track and a psychological track, and they really came together um yes do you want to add something there oh no no, go on i just i just yeah that's great Yeah. yeah they really came together for me in a very profound way and um it became very clear to me that i out of all the work that i did um both as a professional i became a psychotherapist then myself and as a client myself that i wanted to be of service in the way that i had been served and the way that i had to heal And I think that's very common for people that if we really receive love and we receive healing, that it's part of our innate nature as human beings that we want to offer that to other people. And that to me speaks right back to where you began, which is we're in this together. Affect each other. We need each other. Our children desperately need us to be the role models for healthy human relationships and for love and for good boundaries and for peaceful conflict resolution and for the desire to actually heal our relationships rather than, you know, keep fighting these endless wars, whether within a family or within a nation. Amen. And you believe, uh, as that we as a nation, and these are your own words, are in a collision course with our own extinction. Right. Why do you believe that? Well, I, you know, part of the, the substructure of my book is that I t- have taken everything that I've learned as a therapist, working with individuals and families and couples, um, and what dynamics play out in a healthy family and what dynamics play out in a destructive or abusive or a neglectful family. And I've taken that lens and looked at our nation through that lens. And I think that makes it very intelligible to people what I'm about to say. And that is, if you're looking at an individual family, 
and you had parents that were beating one child and giving everything to another or starving one child and feeding another or putting one out in the cold and taking care of another, you would say that there was something wrong with those parents, that they were mentally disturbed, that they needed help to understand the effect they were having on the people that they were mistreating, the children that they were mistreating. And we know that in our own families. And yet, as a nation, we often adopt policies out of some belief in who's worthy and who's not, who's right and who's wrong, who's good and who's bad. Um, we often adopt policies and practices that are highly discriminatory and abusive toward many people in large segments of our population. And so I'm looking at that lens through our country and saying, What's going on here that's not that's not right? And I call this mental unwellness. Um, and and I and I you can say mental illness, but I I want to say mental unwellness just because we have so many um, extreme yeah. connotations with the word mental illness. Like we think of someone who's hearing voices that of people that aren't there, or you know that kind of thing. When in fact, our mental ill our mental health is a collective endeavor. A healthy family is invested in the health and well-being of everyone. That would be, you know, however imperfectly we do it as human beings, because we're imperfect um, and we we make mistakes and we try again. Um, and that's what I'd like to see for our country, that we're invested in the health and well-being of every person and that we're willing to be accountable for the ways that we're not, just like we would expect healthy parents and we expect our children to be accountable when they do something that's not okay or that hurts another person or hurts themselves, that they can get some help. So that's sort of the tame uh, version of it. And then yeah. to, to your question, you know, why I say such an extreme statement, because if you had parents in an individual family that were taking all their resources or most of them and and investing them in weaponry, you would say there's something mentally off with that family rather than feeding their children or educating them or taking them from for their medical needs. And when you have a country that is investing billions of dollars in better ways to kill other human beings, we have to say that is psychologically unsound behavior. And with the weapons we have today, we could destroy life as we know it. And that's many why times over. many times over. And that's why I say it's really, this is about our survival. Our mental health is actually the key to our survival. And we have been taught and we're conditioned to believe that we're in some ideological war. And it's not true. We're in a struggle to find our balance with our true mental health. Man. So as a nation, as a whole, we're suffering from psychological dysfunction. Absolutely. Okay. So what can be done to turn it around? Well, I always say the first thing I always say in answer to that question, and again, I'm not pretending I have all the answers. There are many people out there approaching this same issue from many, many points of view from their own expertise. But what I say as the first line is to educate people. 
if I had known as a young person what I know now about our psychological functioning and at a lens on what had happened to me and the effects of what that was on my life, I would have had a different life. I would have been able to seek help and healing much earlier than I was able to do, which I'm very grateful. No matter when you, when, no matter when you get help and healing, it's right. always a blessing. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think we need to educate our populace about what the dynamics of abuse actually look like in a family and in a country and what the long lasting effects are on people if they don't get rescued and they don't get help. Because that's what we see with individuals. We see the long-term devastating effects on people who have been mistreated and sometimes brutally mistreated. And I can tell you as a therapist of many, many years, the incident of extreme psychological, physical, and sexual abuse in American families is epidemic. We are really suffering on the individual level. And there's no way that that is not going to mushroom out onto the community level, the gender level, the racial level, the economic level, the political level, and the governmental level. There's just no way that's not going to be true. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, I mean, we see, we see a, a huge increase in violence across America. I mean, Shootings are happening every single day, especially in our inner cities. I mean, on the news here in Baltimore, every morning is a discussion of the four or five shootings that took place overnight, every single day. If there are no shootings of it on any particular night, that makes the headlines for the morning news the next day. I mean, what can be done to turn the tide of violence that we see happening on an ever-increasing level? Right. And again, there's there are many, many, many ways to approach that. And I think the answer actually has to be approached from many, many different angles. I don't think there's a one size that's going to just turn that tide. But some of them that I like to talk about from a psychological point of view are the first one was education. I think we need psychological education about abuse so that children and families, and this would be the second part, that we, we that our first line of defense is to help rather than criminalize people. There are many people in jail today who are victims of abuse themselves, who have only been playing out what they learned. What they learned was horrible. What they played out might be horrible, but that doesn't mean they're untreatable. And I think we have to really reverse our whole attitude toward um, toward our criminal justice system and treat every possible person who's available to be helped and to be returned into society as a functional and contributing worthwhile member who is welcomed back. Um, And yes, of course, there are people we don't know how to treat who are so far gone that they're a danger. And until we know how to help them, they probably do need to be restrained. But even so, with the attitude, these people are victims of a social order that has not been in their favor, that has hurt them, rather than these are just bad human beings that right. need to be yeah. locked up and thrown away. Yeah. It makes sense. Amen. Uh, you know, and, a couple of months ago, I was interviewing someone on this, and, and he said that, I'm trying to remember exactly, I'm just going to paraphrase it, mm-hmm. but, but this is the third or fourth generation now that has been taught 
you don't have to take care of yourself because you'll be taken care of. Mm. And it's all about me, you know, like mm. I, you give me this, I need this instead of, you know, I need to work, work, work so I can obtain this. It's mm. like, I want this, give it to me. And he said, you know, that generational mindset has been handed down. Now we have the third and fourth generation. That's all they know. Yeah. How do we overcome that now ingrained mindset? Because this is what mama did. This is what grandma did. And this is what her daddy did. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the fourth mm -hmm. generation. How, how can we go about psychologically entering the country into some type of therapy, I guess that's the purpose of your yeah. book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To again, instill a change of that mental attitude. Well, and again, there's a million answers to that, or maybe not yeah. quite that many, but there's a lot. But right. one thing I would say is that with the increase in supply, um, with the increase in the ability to become super rich and super, you know, super like, you know, acquiring more and more and more and more and more, there's an addictive nature that in some ways is more rampant now than perhaps in past times, because the possibility of having more money, having more possessions, having more power especially more power, um, having more influence, having more say, having more sex for some people um, is, is contributing, I think, in part to an atmosphere or a culture of addiction yeah. that we're driven to have more. It's never enough so that people who have billions of dollars may still feel like they never have enough when somebody else is starving on the street. And I think we've lost our sense of, of, of perspective around what sustainability really is. And part of that is, and I would say this with like compassion for the human race, we are so smart. We have such big brains. We can develop so many amazing technologies and time-saving devices and food storage and medical, you know, medical intervention. We have so, so much at our at our fingertips that are amazing resources that our own creativity and imagination have created. But we don't always have the wisdom of how to use them that is in service of the common good. Um, I think that's part of the picture that we have to look at our addictive nature, just like the individual addict really needs to look at their individual addiction, yeah, yeah. addictive nature and get healing because it's killing them. And our addictions to wealth and power and control and sex um, are really injuring the human race. Yeah. Amen. It sure is. Hey, do you believe there, there is hope for this nation to turn from this cycle of violence and me, 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 that seems to be rampant in our society today? Oh, yes, I do think there's hope. And one of the reasons, I mean, sometimes like you, when I look out and I see, you know, every day there's a mass shooting and there's, you know, I just read an article about the migrant, the immigrant people that are drowning at the border because it just, you know, I feel sick. My heart breaks. I want to cry. I can, I, I can hardly fathom our inhumanity to one another. Um, but the reason why I think there's hope is because I have found hope in my own life. I see people heal. I know that there are tools 
If we reach out to one another with love, with the best tools we have, with the best care we have, with the best interventions we know yet to perform and to help each other with, we have helped break the cycle of abuse in individual lives and individual families and in communities. And there's no reason why we can't apply those same principles and those same um, practices on much larger levels nationally and really you know, the biggest hope is internationally, globally. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. How will your book help us to do that? Yeah. So the aim of my book, I wrote my book for the layman. It's not a an academic book. Anyone can read it and understand it. And I wrote it very deliberately that way because actually the original title for my book was Out of the Office and Into the World. I wanted to take everything that I had learned as a psychotherapist and as a client and bring it to the general public, because I think a lot of psychological information is not common knowledge. I think there's still a great belief that some people are just evil and other people are good and evil people deserve terrible treatment. And that is part of what's killing us. And as a psychotherapist and in the world of psychology, we know that's not true. There's no baby that's born evil. Something happens to people that sets them on a road of destruction, whether it's self-destruction or harmful and hurtful and sometimes murderous behaviors toward other people. So we know that. And so the so what I've tried to do in my book is look at, as I mentioned before, what's going on in our nation and in our larger institutions and communities through the lens of what I've learned about the individual and the individual family to bring that understanding. When people are targeted for abuse, they become symptomatic. A child who's beaten is going to have symptoms. They're either going to be withdrawn or become aggressive or failure. They'll fail to thrive in school or they'll bully other children or they'll become the one who's bullied. Um, they'll have night terrors. They'll have fears. They may have obsessions. There are all kinds of symptoms of maltreatment by other human beings. And once we know that, that it's not just a flaw in the person who has that symptom, like a kid who wets the bed because they're being molested, for instance. Um, they're not a bedwetter. They're a child who's showing the world through their symptom that they're in trouble, that their family needs help. And so one of the big revelations that I really try to um emphasize in my book is that the most symptomatic among us, the school shooters, the serial killers, the rapists, the people who are out there exploiting the poor or the elderly, they are the ones calling for help for the family of America. They have the loudest symptoms. And this is not common knowledge. We just think these are bad, evil people. And the things they're doing are horrible. There's no doubt. But they didn't get born that way. So how can we take responsibility as a nation to provide a different family environment for our citizens that wouldn't be producing these kinds of symptoms? So that's part of the, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. keep going, keep going. Well, I was just going to say, so that's part of what I explore. It's sort of like there's two parts to my book. What are the dynamics of abuse as they apply to individuals and a nation? What are the symptoms of abuse? What are the outcomes if the symptoms are not treated? Um, and then what do we know from the world of psychology that helps break that cycle? And how can we implement it? So it's it's sort of like the diagnosis and the cure. 
<laughs> That's amen. the book. Does that make sense? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And, and when your book is in, it's still going through the publishing process, editing and all right. that good stuff. When will this, is it scheduled to be released? Um, I don't have an, an exact date, but I'm my, I, the sense that I have is it will be early spring or spring of next year. And I'm certainly hoping that the sooner the better, because I, I would like it to be out today, but it doesn't yeah, work. Amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. Yeah. So at the time of this recording, we're looking at, you know, about March or so of 2024. Right. Okay. Right. Amen. Amen. But I have, you know. Like I just wanted to say, like talking with you, um, I've done a lot of podcasts because I'm really trying to put these messages into the world now, even though the book is not able to be purchased. Mm -hmm. um, I have a website. I'm going to be, you know, posting all of all of this on there and I'll be putting more and more out about what I have to say about this, you know, pre sale mm -hmm. of the book yeah. so that because I, I, I want this information to be out now. You know, I want people to start changing the lens through which they look at one another and 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 look and see how how we can each be contributing. That's one of the things that I talk about is like you don't have to be a therapist. You know, you're contributing in your beautiful way through your faith and through talking to all kinds of people who have something to share. We all have some way that we can contribute to bringing ourselves back to loving one another and taking care of one another. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. So how can someone, are you taking pre-orders right now? If so, how can someone pre-order your book? Yeah. You know um, what I would suggest, I don't have that up on my website right now, but I will. I am just in the process right now of totally redoing my website. And so it will have a pre-order button on it. But in the meantime, if anyone is interested, go to my current website, which is www.phyllislevitt.com. And that's P-H-Y-L-L-I-S-L-E-A-V-I-T-T. -L -L -I -I and I know those words are both, well, both those names are often spelled differently. So I, I always spell them. PhyllisLevitt.com and sign in where it says, you know, would you like to receive my newsletter? Leave your email and you will be transferred to the new list, you know, when my website is redone. And I will, you will be the first one to know when my book is available or anything else is coming up that um that you might be interested in. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram and uh and I have lots of recordings on YouTube. So um, I'm trying to be out there as much as I can now, because I think that the need is urgent now. Amen. Amen. Well, this is so interesting. And if someone has a question for you or like to get more information, uh, maybe do a podcast interview like this. How Absolutely. do you want them to get in touch with you? Yeah. I mean, the best way is probably, you know, why don't I just say my email address here? Okay. Because right. I would I would love to get anybody's questions. There's also a contact me tab on my website, which will also be on my new website. But my you can get get to me at my email, which is Phyllis at PhyllisLevitt.com. All right. And like I said, yeah. I'll put links to all this in the show notes below. Fantastic. Praise Fantastic. God. Amen. You know, folks, as you heard Phyllis share, and you've probably heard me discuss, you know, about the terrible mindset of society today, it's definitely the me generation. It seems like society has turned against itself in some situations. Mm -hmm. It's terrible out there. It's also a sign that without help, 
Without some kind of divine intervention, our nation will not be around for very long as we've known it in a very short order. Phyllis has just shared some unique professional insight into what is truly the root causes of our societal troubles. I mean, she has outlined some possible solutions, but she can't do it alone. Amen. Drop down to the show notes, sign up for the pre-release order of her book, get in touch with her, get on the newsletter so you'll be notified of this. You know, America in therapy. Boy, do we need it right now. (laughs) Couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) Drop down the shows, click the links right there. Right now, while you're thinking about it, in fact, order two. You know, when it comes out, you need to order two, three or more copies for people you know who could use this information to help sound the alarm. You know, order one for your pastor, your teen group pastor, etc. I mean, you could be listening to us right now because God has a plan for you for you to be one of the people that helps to initiate change in this country right now. Imagine if he called 1,000 people to purchase her books with each ordering, let's say, five copies, then distributing them all over the nation to people of influence. Imagine the impact that would make if all of a sudden there is the great American reawakening to what's wrong in society and how it can be fixed. Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. Praise God. Drop down the show notes, get in touch with Phyllis, and be sure to order the America in Therapy book as soon as it is released. Amen. Phyllis, thank you for writing and and going through the hassle of publishing this book and taking a stand, not only against what we see happening, but offering some solutions as well. Praise God for all that you've done. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you are a blessing for inviting me on your show and giving the most beautiful messages that I know you give, because I can hear them right now in your voice. And and you are, and, you know, you're sort of the embodiment of what I'm doing in my own way, which is calling it out, but presencing it with love and hope and healing. And, and that's what we need. Amen. Amen. I do appreciate you taking the time to come on the program today and share your message as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Amen. Folks, that's all the time we have for today. For Phyllis Levette and myself, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you.